Another edition of Lay It on the Table, the Southern Board Game Podcast with the accent on Southern. As usual, I am your host, Joe Mahaffey. And once again, I think I'm five for five, James. I'm finally getting the rhythm of how that intro should go. Yeah, absolutely. You're right on top of it. It's fantastic. Fantastic to hear again. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so, uh, boy, I am really excited for this podcast, uh, this particular interview. I've known this person, gosh, since before the pandemic, which seems like it should be a long time. But in reality, we were just getting to know each other, hurt each other and each other's families. And then the bad times happened and the pandemic happened. But James, um, I am very excited to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Megan Connell. She is a certified geek therapist. And since we are the Geek in Southern podcast network, I think that's very appropriate. Uh, But she is also a, a superhero psychologist. And she's got a new book coming out in about two weeks called Tabletop Role-Playing Therapy. Megan, welcome to Lay It on the Table. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. and getting. To, it's so good to see you again. Like, it is it has so been great forever. to see you. Ah, oh, pandemic. I've never seen you before at all. So it's really great <laughs> so, to see you So hello, it's all. good to meet you, James. <laughs> so um, just a little backstory for the audience. Uh, uh, gosh, back in 2018, I think it was, maybe, yeah, a little, I think uh, maybe so. 2018, yeah. 2019, I was just starting Ghost of the Salt Marsh, as if it were set in uh, Eberron at the friendly local game store, Carolina Tabletop Games, not a sponsor, but we talk about them all the time. We do. We and do, yeah. uh, you and your husband came in and we were talking about the Beetle and Grimm set that I had. And you were talking about uh, the fact that you were part of geeks like us and that you do a, uh, a clinical role, which is a bunch of clinical psychologists playing Dungeons and Dragons. I guess it's on Twitch and YouTube. I don't know. I sometimes go in and stalk you guys and make snarky comments. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, snark is welcome. It's fine. (laughs) But it was just the beginning of, you know, as as Claude Rain said in that lovely movie, it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. We've been over to your house and played games with you and your kids and, and, and all that. And so I am just really excited about the work that you do professionally and how it's culminated in this book. But I'd love for you to talk to us about that journey, sort of, sort of what started you and, and how you got here. And of course, James will have a bunch of, you know, professional academic type of questions that are just beyond me. So uh, we'll go ahead and start there. Yeah, I know. I've always been a geeky gamer. Uh, loved playing board games as a kid. Like my, it's sort of interesting. Like it was my uh, younger kiddos are getting to the age where they're wanting to know information about me when I was a kid and having to be like, well, I always have loved board games, but nobody ever wanted to play with me. So I often played board games by myself because I was the only child, which is just (laughs) so sad on many (laughs) levels. But um, in middle school, that was when I was first introduced to D&D. I have no idea what edition we were playing because it was, you know, the early 90s. So one person had books and the rest of us had notebook paper that we would write our character sheets on. Um, And it was mostly just making lots of characters and, you know, make like talking about how our characters would know each other. But I don't think we ever played a campaign. (laughs) We just made characters as you do. Yeah, I remember those days. Spent way too long away from the hobby. Um, You know, got into playing video games, just always reading nerdy books and geeky books. And then uh, in... um, Gosh, it must have been 2016, 2017, got back into playing tabletop role-playing games. I had watched uh, Will Wheaton's Ashes of Alcala, I think is how you pronounce it, on Geek and Sundry. Um, Rip that channel, I guess. And uh, Geek and Southern might be inspired by Geek and Sundry, if you think about it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 you know, it fits, it fits. Um, But uh, we got the Fantasy Age system, started playing it, started watching uh, Critical Role, and we were like, well... D&D, let's give this a try. I got the starter set, played through it as a family. Um, we joined a Sunday night campaign uh, on Roll20 and have been playing every Sunday since, um, gosh, yeah, January. No, it was January 2017 was when we started, my group started playing. And pretty much every week, we're at least talking to each other. Um, things recently are getting a little more hectic in terms of families and careers and things. So we're not always able to play every week, uh, but we still get together every week at least. And it's great. Um, and yeah, from 
playing my characters, I started realizing I was like, wow, these characters tell a lot about me. I wonder if I can use them in therapy. And that's how I got started on this road of using tabletop role-playing games as a part of therapy. Well, and that's a very interesting thing because I think when we first met, I think um, I was curious about the whole Twitch stream because obviously I had an idea of what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And you and I met for lunch at the the, the Mexican restaurant yeah, over here in, in Ballantyne. And, and we talked a little bit about that. And that's where I really began to grasp how you were using tabletop role-playing game and some of your therapies. And I know that you were working with a lot of minors and we can't really mm-hmm. get too specific there, but I'd love to know how you made that leap into, gosh, this is a way to open up uh, for, for your, your particular patients. Yeah. Um, I ran a few test groups at the practice I was at uh, at the time and started really seeing some positive results. And so then I started running more, more and more groups, which was awesome. Um, And we had lots of amazing benefit from it. I think using tabletop role-playing therapies, um, not just Dungeons and Dragons, in my book, I'm very clear about this. Like I use D&D because I know D&D and I have a hard time learning new rule sets. So (laughs) it's what I use, but it's not the best air quotes around this therapy for, or, uh, game for therapy it's sort of what is the game system you want to run and you will enjoy running that's going to be the air quotes again best system for what you want to do and uh yeah i found it worked really well with lots of kids um i've tried to run a few adult groups the problem with the adult groups is uh as always with any role-playing game is scheduling Mm. oh yeah um getting a adults to commit to the same time, the same place every, you know, for 10 weeks in a row is really hard. (laughs) So somehow they can get their kids there. They can't get themselves there. Uh, So it's, it's a challenge, but it's also really beneficial for them as well. Well, the thing that I think struck me was I remember very vividly in that lunch, you were telling me that just watching these young people define their characters and then define the world in which they wanted to exist and how if they could think about it, y'all could add it to the story and how that just seemed to be so empowering um, to the patient. It was just very impactful on me in in the sense that I still carry that conversation with me to this day. Yeah, it it is really cool because like so many of these kids came from playing video games where they're just limited. You know, like, yeah, you can customize your character to a certain amount, but like, not really, you know, it's all got to get programmed in. And like, you can interact with the world, but you don't really have a choice in what you're doing. You know, like, I I forget, somebody said this to me, I didn't come up with this one, but um, uh, so I'm quoting somebody, but now I'm not remembering who. So awesome quote, I guess, (laughs) is that in video game role playing games, you are putting yourself into the world of the game in tabletop role-playing games. You are role-playing a character in the world. And so yourself is kind of coming out of that. And I think that's really powerful. Like I remember uh, very distinctly playing um, uh, elder scrolls, the Skyrim Mm -hmm. and uh, most everybody I think has played Skyrim. And uh, there's the first time that a dragon attacked after the opening scene. And I'm just kind of wandering around and I see a bunch of guards attacking the dragon. And I'm like, they got that. I don't want to fight that. I'm level two. <laughs> I don't want any part of the big dragon. I'm, I'm going to go back into the city now. And then like, I spent the night in the city and did a couple of quests in the city. And I came out like three days later and the guards are still fighting the dragon. And I'm like, Oh, I have to go fight the dragon. This is, your this is what this. Yeah, it's like, this is what I have to do. Um, and, and it was just, it was very bizarre. And it was like so disappointing because I had been having so much fun with that game. I still had a lot of fun with Skyrim and I still really enjoy it and think it's a great game. But like just sort of that disappointment of like, oh, I can't do what my character actually would want to do. I have to do what the game is telling me to do. And that, that wasn't fun. And like in tabletop gaming, we don't have that. It, it's we get to do what our characters want. The world gets to be the way we want it. You know, like if somebody comes up with this, you know, cool tribe and it's like, okay, this is, I want the tribe with these, you know, the, I don't know, the fish people who have to migrate across the land to different lakes, depending on the season. 
and they have a ritual and sometimes you have to go out and do things and you know it's like okay yes yes you know and just finding a way to bring that into the world and to fold that in there and it's really fun and like it's so cool to see how much the kids light up when you're just taking their ideas and putting them into the world even if you don't put them in exactly as they said could be taking that idea and just kind of turning it a little bit like um well it seems to me that's it's the it's the difference between uh watching something mediated right Mm -hmm. you're you're going through the screens and you're doing the things and you're interacting with another human being who can react to you in the way that the sort of brain that another human being has to tell a new story based on whatever however whatever insight you have or idea you have or and the computer the um electronic game is not is not going to be able to do that and you know they're still going to be out there fighting the dragon exactly exactly and it is so powerful to have that shared narrative experience to go like um i started using uh if you're familiar with sly flourish's lazy dungeon master yep He's got a character bonds thing. So you roll D20. And I started doing this around the group where I had people roll two D20s and they assigned one to the right and one to the left. Nice. And that was the bonds that they all had to to each other. And it, it the dice were really funny because like somehow like five people ended up all being in business together. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But it, it made this kind of neat hook. It's like, oh, this is how we know each other. And we're going to bring our business to the world. And this is the reason we're adventuring now. Well, that's one of the things I love about the game too, is that it's, you know, I, I was thinking about that, that uh, episode of um, the big bang theory where Penny is trying to teach children uh, improv. And she says, um, improv is all about saying yes to everything. And I kind of feel like the DM is, is playing that role of saying yes to what people want to try. They're not always successful, mm-hmm. but because the dice kind of throw into that sense of chance or there's other variables. But in, in the game that I play with James, we have a character who, uh, she plays this womanizing guy and, uh, she was in this, uh, we, she was in Kresic cause we're doing, um, um, curse of Strahd now. And she was, or he was successful flirting with this guard. And I'm like, okay, I'm the DM. I got to roll with this. And this was kind of awkward. It's Shane from the store. If you remember Shane from the store <laughs> and it's, it's kind of awkward and we're, we're having this date and we get to the, that good night kiss <laughs> yeah. and he rolls a one. <laughs> and so all of a sudden it's a handshake, you know, but it's all that, that, that sort of saying yes to the moment kind of thing, even if it takes you in an uncomfortable place in your relationship. Cause you know, obviously Shane's much younger than me, et cetera, but it was just this whole dynamic of sort of watching that unfold. And it's very funny yeah, know, or it's very and, and memorable. I, well, and that thing of like, it stretches you outside of your comfort zone. Right. And yeah. like getting to try something new, be something new, you know, it's like, it, um, for the first long-term campaign that we played on Sundays, I made a very impulsive character because I tend to be a very meticulous, thinking through, overly anxious person. And I wanted to just hang that up for a few hours. Um, boy, did my DM punish me for that. <laughs> but also, it was kind of fun, right? And like, it was interesting because playing that character, I got to the a point where I'm like, man, am I glad I don't do this in my real life. <laughs> yeah there's that (laughs) it's just but it was cool though to kind of have that difference and be like okay as much as like we could see the grass is greener and be like it'd be so nice to be this way to be able to go yeah but you know what how i am is okay too and to be accepting of that there's something really powerful in that moment so is that what it's how did I, I'm, I'm, I have this question somewhere coalescing about how you moved from playing the games to using them as a uh, therapeutic. And it was that part mm-hmm. of it, like thinking about, ah, people can have that. And I, my students write about this all the time. So um, I know that there are a lot of other people who work with this as a, or role playing as a, ah, this is a way to, like either have good socialization moments or to overcome trauma in some way or to connect or to just watch a sort of idealized version or a very different version of themselves go out and do stuff. So I'm curious about how you ended up, you know, 
pulling uh, tabletop RPGs into therapeutic settings because it's it's exciting stuff. But it, yeah, well, for me, it was uh, I was thinking about the character I had made for the campaign I played with my family and this impulsive character that I had made with my role playing group. Which is I awesome. was like, they both came from my brain. They have to have something in common. And when I figured out what they have in common, I had this moment where it was like everything dropped out from under me. And I was like, oh, no, that's my central issue that I need to work <laughs> on. And, and like, I realized that it was behind all of these defensive walls. And like, I could have done therapy for years and probably never touched on this. And like, even if I had had a therapist who was very insightful, and was like, you know, I think your issue is this thing. I'd be like, no, no, <laughs> that's not me. That's not me. But like, because it was these two characters, and, and I talk about this in my book a lot, and because I think this is something that's very powerful with, with tabletop gaming is that it's not us, it's our character. And so because of that, our defenses don't go with it. And so we have this ability to see them as being something other than us, but also they can reflect back onto us. And so I was like, wow, this is really powerful. I need to use this in therapy. Uh, and just very serendipitously, that week, uh, Dr. Boca Mazzaro was featured on Dragon Talk. And he was running uh, groups out of aspiring youth to teach kids on the autism spectrum social skills through playing tabletop games. Yep. Um, and so I reached out to him and he and I have become friends and colleagues. And, uh, you know, we've worked on trainings together and uh, how to use this. And so it, that's really what got the ball rolling. And then I found my particular niche in this in running groups for uh, women and girls on learning how to be assertive, um, assertiveness skills through playing tabletop role playing games, building positive peer relationships, creative problem solving, and also just having fun for a few hours, <laughs> <laughs> which is honestly can be incredibly therapeutic too. Um, and, and I want to say too, for me, like girls has an asterisk after that. It, girls is defined as somebody who identifies as being female or identifies non-binary who was assigned female at birth. Um, but yeah, it's a very welcoming group. And it's just about like talking about some of the challenges that we're going to face in life. And like, how do we, you know, what's the armor that we take from the game and bring into the real, real world? Um, I, I had, uh, I've talked about this character several times and I've got to change his name now when I run the game. But um, his name is Chet and he is a retired adventurer. And everybody in the town loves Chet because he saved the town several times and Chet can do no wrong. And Chet smiles, but to the party <laughs> um, the first. So they met Chet like they just kind of had this passing interaction with him where he's like, hello, ladies, you're wonderful. Thank you. And, and kind of just walked away and they're all like, "Ugh, gross. And they were sent on a quest and they had to go clear out the sewers of an infestation that had come into the sewers of this town. And it was a hard slog and it was gross. And they got to the very last battle and they're fighting the big boss. And Chet comes into the room, gets the killing blow. It says, I saved you. You're welcome. And rides off back to town on his steed. <laughs> gets there uh. before them to tell them all, tell everybody in town how he saved the adventuring party. <laughs> like Gilderoy Lockhart meets the Greg Kinnear character of Mystery Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it was great. And like, you know, he was a character who had a lot of depth, like, and just was always kind of around. Um, mm -hmm. but like they needed to use it because there were times where they needed to get into high political places and Chet, the hero of the city had lots of ends. And so they had to figure out how to work with this guy who would not always respect boundaries. Um, <coughs> Sorry. She, uh, everybody, Megan is is recently had a cold, and it's lovely uh, pollen here in the south these oh. days. And so, everybody's got their own cough hack wheeze. There's been many of that on this this program, mm -hmm. and we're sorry that you're going through that. <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry, I'm trying to no, spare right. everyone's ears. No, thank you. Um, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, but uh, no. So Chet would, <clears throat> you know, not respect their boundaries, not in like a sexual way, but in like right. he would always call sure. the group ladies, and they're like. Mm. That's not our name. Our group name is this. You will call us this. And he's like, sorry, right. And then the next time, ladies. ladies. And it's like, yeah. Chet, we've talked about this. Right, 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 right. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I know that guy. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like yeah. most people know that guy, right? Mm -hmm. And half and so like 
how wonderful that the first several interactions with that guy were in a tabletop role playing game setting where we got to pause the game and talk about that guy and <laughs> get off on awesome. the whiteboard and write out like, how do we want to deal with this? What do we think the consequences are? What's, you know, and from a psychological standpoint, I'm like, what behavioral outcome do you want to see from this guy? You know, and we talked about like the ideal is he has a complete personality change. So like, what's the likelihood of that happening? Okay, not so much. <laughs> and, and so it's like it really helped them learn how to problem solve those social interactions where when they're dealing with that frustrating person to go, okay, I have to interact with this person and here's what I need from them. I need them to, you know, get this report to me or to get this thing to, you know, to me or I need them to work with me to achieve this end. Or what behaviors me as a as a colleague or as a younger professional mm -hmm. if you're talking with younger uh women yeah yeah and then we talk about like okay how do we frame things to achieve that behavioral outcome and that's really helpful i've had a few of my old players come back to me and be like i met a chet <laughs> <laughs> i was like yeah they exist i'm sorry i wish they didn't <laughs> yeah. but they do <laughs> they're like i know what to do but oh my god <laughs> And it's just, it's such an amazing thing, though, to have these games where we can practice these skills, where we can practice mm -hmm. all of these social interactions in a place where we don't have those negative outcomes. You know, it's kind of funny, um, just a, a slightly going back to, uh, I'll, I'll just turn the camera on me for a second, because <laughs> I feel like I want to. Uh, no, my dad's a um, MSW, and... Uh, did a lot of therapy work and so i'm a, a joe and i are clearly a little bit older and um when the whole um what's the satanic panic was going around going yeah D, &D uh, my dad who came from this therapeutic background was like well no role play is fine Role play is a is a healthy thing that you should do like i'm good with that that's part of my training but not demons. <laughs> not a, so I was allowed to play other role-playing games, and I knew kids who just weren't allowed to play any at all. Of course, as Joe knows, I went ahead and played D&D &D in other friends' basements, you know, because that's, that's you what do. you do. Yeah. 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 But uh, I didn't end up worshiping Satan at all, so it's good. I feel like that's a bonus. That's it. But it makes sense to me that just thinking... And I love the idea of pausing in the middle of the role play to unpack the role play and mm -hmm. say, so now what do we do in a different situation or real life situation to deal with Chet uh, because he's going to show up. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. I think that's, that's fantastic. So you, you've got your tabletop role playing therapy going. And mm -hmm. I assume that started after, 2017 when you, when you rediscovered D and D and you begin to see its impact clinic clinically for you, as well as playing with your clinical friends. At what point does the book come into your imagination out of your practice? Yeah, it was something we had been talking on clinical Rolex. A book needs to be written. And um, I had actually approached a couple other people and asked somebody them if they wanted to. to. Do it. Yeah, we're like, somebody has to do it. <laughs> One of us. <laughs> and all of us were like, I don't think it's going to be me. I don't want to be, you know, and like, the nose, yeah. <laughs> but I started being like, no, I do want to write this book. I've got, you know, a lot of research. And then just uh, someone from Norton actually approached me um, and asked and helped me come up with a good outline and, um, They've been so, incredibly so as, supportive. As a former acquisitions editor, did they, were they like listening to the podcasts and watching you? Or I think so. I think they were aware of me through Twitter and the podcasts and other things that I've been doing. Um, you know, and like I think it helps in the space. I'm the only one of the psychologists who does this who's board certified. Only four percent of psychologists are board certified, um, and so that does carry you know some some weight mm -hmm. with that. Um, and like I, I just. To me, it having written the book, it's amazing. And it's also kind of this little uh, moment because I, I have a language-based learning disability, um, commonly like would be referred to as dyslexia, but mm -hmm. dyslexia doesn't exist in the DSM, but that's the understanding of what it is. So mm -hmm. um, 
can't spell very well and uh, have a hard time reading sometimes, but I have still written a book. <laughs> what a time to be alive with autocorrect. Yes. Thank so, you. Still so, <laughs> well, you know, talking about the outline, I mean, that's one of the things that it, obviously I have not read the book yet because it's not released yet. And I was, and although I know where you live, I didn't come steal that copy behind <laughs> you, but I, <laughs> I can give you a copy. I have extra copy. I'll give uh, you a copy. I have, one. <laughs> I actually have, one. I'll, I'll take it, but I have one on order. Cause I feel like you should get paid. <laughs> I, I have bought, I have bought, oh, yeah. no, I have bought James's yeah. books as well. I actually used one in, in game and it took him a minute to realize I was reading one of his poems. I was like, Oh, a bad <laughs> piece of poetry. Yeah. Bastard. The, the whole time the NPC's going, listen to this droll. Um, <laughs> but I love the outline in the sense that the book is framed up to say, look, how did we get here? What is this? You know, why would you use this? Here are some, uh, relevant literature pieces that, that make the case to just show you, I'm not somebody just pushing my wares here. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of give us all of that, the, the foundation up front. In fact, I think you call it the foundation. If I'm reading it yes. correctly with my yep. old eyes up here in the corner of my screen, and then you get into the application of it. And I think that, you mm -hmm. know, um, one of the reasons I know James was, was excited about this book because I think he's thinking about how he can use it in the classroom. Uh, I'm thinking about how just it is from a, you know, before and after in an application standpoint, not only as somebody who plays the game, but plays the game with a lot of diverse people, either in a one yeah. shot or the people that I'm playing with that are friends or what have you. And I'm always looking for something to just sort of stretch my, my brain, but I, in, in this, this field, and I love just sort of how you organized it. And was that, that collaboration with your editor or did you kind of know yeah. going into it, you wanted to kind of lay the foundation first? I knew I wanted to lay the foundation. Um, it was sort of, I think if I'm remembering correctly, my editor was like, I don't think you really need to do this, but if you want to go for it, I was like, no, I think it's important. Um, Cause I, in grad school it was really drilled into me to operationally define everything, which is, you know, we, you know, when I say so, like, when I say role-playing game, what do I mean by that? Right. Like you have an idea, you have an idea The listeners have an idea, but like, what do we actually mean? And so, taking the time to define the terms, define what we're talking about here and really to break it down because like, um, you know, Norton was really like, this is going to be a textbook. I'm like, cool. But I also want it to be readable by people who are not academics because these games make people feel things and they want to understand why. And that's what I really hope that this for, I, I want this to be this lovely bridge that unites psychology in the gaming world where it's just like psychologists meet gamers, gamers meet psychology you both have a lot in common and let's try to work together and to create some amazing things here. Um, because like I am so fascinated by how we encode D and D or, you know, tabletop gaming memories. Right. Because like when we're talking about the things our characters do, we don't frame it in my character did this thing. Right. We frame it in. I did this thing. I stormed the castle. And remember, you tried to climb up and you had to kick through the window and you knocked that guard off. And there was like the Wilhelm scream as he fell. And then we had this, you know, it's it's this thing where it feels like a real memory. And like that's, you know, part of the big power of role playing is it does give us these lived experiences. And so even though we didn't go and fight a dragon at the castle, it could feel like we did. And that's that does something for us. And so talking about like the narrative stuff behind that and the science behind that and what's going on in our brains, I think is, I'm interested in it. I hope other gamers oh, no, are no. too. <laughs> I, I think that's really fascinating uh, because um, in a slightly more, I guess, banal version of this, uh, it's, it's the ways that we can talk about vampires um, or the Easter bunny or Santa Claus as if they're real, mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh, we can talk about like, Who's the strong? Like I, I see these conversations. Like who's the strongest Marvel universe? Like there, it's none of them. They're they're not there. But we can do this. We we and we can engage these fictional. And then that's the power. I mean, I'm a writer, right? So I think about mm -hmm. the power of 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 poetry because that's my jam. But you know, my wife is a fiction writer, right? And we talk about these like as if these happened. Uh, mm -hmm. And but then building those stories with other people, it's a really astonishing thing to. And I think this is one of the, the beautiful things about tabletop games, regardless. Right. Um, as opposed to 
a lot of uh, digital games where you don't know who everybody is and it's all of these, but you're sitting there across a table and you create these stories around, it's not exactly a text, right? It's a game that you've mm -hmm. pulled together and then you'll tell these stories for years. Uh, and those narratives that come out of that, yeah, are just fantastic. And so uh, one of the one of the things I was also interested in is you also work with my dad's a veteran. I have friends mm -hmm. who are veterans. And so you've pulled this into not just uh, women and uh, girls in gaming, but you've also you also do work with veterans. Is that right? I'm trying to do work with that. So I'm a vet myself. Ah, okay. I was right. as in the army. Um, I've been trying to get uh, a veterans group together at that. I was getting close to it and then the pandemic hit. And then um, I love the practice I was at uh, to open up my own practice here in Charlotte called uh, health quest. And so when we open our doors at our main location um, this summer, probably in the fall, I'm going to be really doing a heavy push to try and get the veterans group going uh, because it's something I feel very passionate about. Um, and I just think it's cool too for vets um, because like you don't get to use your tactical knowledge once you leave the military and like making a highly tactical game. Um, you know, Matt Colville's got a lot of, I've got all the books he's put out so far and he's a very tactical player and gives some wonderful guidelines. It's like, okay, let's make, let's get some tactics on, let's do this. And let's, let's let you flex those th muscles that you built in the military and have your you know group behind you and you know get to go and fight and feel like a hero. Well, you know, and it's that's fantastic. When I was you know looking at all of the doing a bit of research, uh, you know, my dad went into the VA. That was like his final like that's what he wanted to do at the end of his career was to give back and and to engage and help other vets. And so that was a that was really nice to to read that I was really excited to hear about what that meant for you. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting as I, as I listen to this, you know, sometimes I love it when we have a guest because sometimes I get to, I talk too much or interrupt, or I get to be the spectator. In this case, I'm being the spectator. James is amazed at how little I've, I've interrupted, <laughs> but <laughs> I have, I have my own social quirks. I think Megan knows that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it just seems to me, you know, when I think about the whole tabletop role play experience, you know, we all talk about it as if, you know, Lord Gygax pulled it out in 1976 and bequeathed it to the world. But the reality of it is if I were an anthropologist, I'd say, no, we've been sitting around the fire telling stories to each other, mm -hmm. you know, for millennia. And I think that <clears throat> that is an interesting expression of, of the format. And I've just been curious about how the pandemic has is has really been the fuel for that in the sense that it wasn't that people were looking for something to do. They were craving community. They were craving mm -hmm. this human interaction, even if you had to do it through this type of, you know, modality to do that. And I think that, you know, James and I talked to um, professor dungeon master from dungeon, uh, Craft. I'm going to get that right. I wanted to say dungeon. I was going to say dungeon quest, and I knew that was wrong. Dungeon craft. Thank you, Professor Dungeon Master. We really appreciated you coming on our show. Um, <laughs> but he's. But he talks a lot about that too. About that guy and 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 just sort of and in, in in real life, he's a teacher and 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 he's doing some very similar things. But it's just sort of interesting to me um, as we talk to him about the whole Hasbro thing. And what, and what I think Hasbro really lost sight of, and this is really my point before I blew the whole dungeon craft thing, uh, is that I don't think they appreciated that what they see as a game, as a business, was this innate need for us to have community and share a story together. And that you have the that you have had the uh, the opportunity to take that a step further and and draw things out of ourselves that we can learn about ourselves and and kind of see that in the mirror a little bit because I, I have this you know my own personal experience is that when you understand something about yourself then you're in a position to do something about it. Yes, I say I say you're either a victim or you're a volunteer, and I always say you're a victim until mm -hmm. you until you're intellectually aware of what you have, and then you choose to be mm -hmm. there. Right or wrong, that's my perspective on it. And and I think that this is just another, you know, the, the fact that you found a way for that to be a way for people to discover things about themselves in a relatively safe environment. 
Yeah. You know, you're surrounded yeah. by friends. You have this catharsis. Maybe you're having it privately at the table, but you're at a table with friends. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is just so powerful. Well, and there's a story. I, I share this story a lot because like this was, I had had moments where I knew that what I was doing was helping and was making a difference. And this was the first moment where like it hit me so hard. Um, so I had been, this was my first like real, like long meeting group for, a, um, I, I call it applied gaming, therapeutic gaming. And uh, we had been doing sort of a modified Rise of Tiamat story. Um, modified being in like the only thing that was in common was there was a dragon cult trying to bring Tiamat to the material plane. And that, that was about where the parallels between the module ended. Um, but the players figured out who was doing it. There was a green dragon who was pretending to be a gnome running around. Um, they gathered their allies, to include Chet, uh, <laughs> together in the uh, royal stables because it was a stone-sided building with a roof. And they cornered the gnome in there. And they transformed into the dragon. And it, the building was big enough to hold the dragon. And it couldn't fly away. And they all attacked, and the rogue was the one who got the the killing blow. And you know, I described like this, like you know, the, I was like, okay, how do you want to do this? And the rogue's like, I'm just so tired, and this battle's got on for so long. I think I'm just going to kind of half sw- swing up and you know get my dagger, and so like, so I kind of you know embellished it, and and I was like, and then the dragon falls, and all of a sudden the table just erupted in tears. And the group just, they all ran together and they were sobbing. And I like had this moment of like, oh, frick, what did I do? What did I do? What's going on? What's going wrong? And I was like, are you guys okay? What's going on? And one of them finally like calmed down enough was like, look at what I can do when I'm with my friends. Oh, that's I was amazing. Like, oh, right? <laughs> I, I still get chills thinking about that moment. Wow. It was oh, so man. powerful. And, and so where I was like, okay, this is something. Like, here's this moment where, uh, and I should say, (laughs) sorry. It's okay. The, um, the dragon had been bullying them. Like, (laughs) in in real life, a lot of these people have been bullied. And so to be able to be like, no, we're, I'm not going to stand up, you know, I'm going to gather my allies and we're going to confront this all together. And it was just so amazing. Um, that sounds yeah. that does sound amazing. And and the those those moments are just so special. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely a privilege to witness those and to be like, yes, okay, this is something really special here. So it's 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 interesting hearing these stories because you know, James and I have <laughs> been doing this podcast for coming up on a year. It'll be a year next month. And uh he's how many classes have you done at Furman um on this, James? Have we done, this is, uh, I mean, it's the same, uh, this is my third semester teaching the, yeah, doing that. And there's writing around tabletop games. Yeah. And it's always exciting because James will always have a story each semester about that one student that, you know, comes in like, I don't want to play games. And then they get it and they, they, they open up to it because they think they hear games and and they think, oh, it's Monopoly. Oh, it's going to be easy. And then James walks in (laughs) with, with a game called dude. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's just a different, it is a very fun game, Ooh. <laughs> different experience. But anyway, so it's just, it's just kind of interesting for me to kind of, you know, there's, there's a commonality in what he's experiencing in the classroom and what you experience uh, in the, in the, in the clinical setting. Well, and one of the things that I want them to understand is that games aren't, what well, no games are exactly what they think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just haven't, dived deep enough to think through it right uh, and to think through the experience and think through what it means to create these stories mm-hmm. um, and to recognize that you know if you're uncomfortable with one kind of gaming it's okay to say like yeah I don't really like zero-sum games I like and to give them the the language to talk about that and to recognize that Games have been around since as long as we've been human. Uh, yeah. And to sort of try to think about them as more serious. Well, they are more serious than we think they are because they're so core to who we are as being human beings. Um, and 
and we kind of, particularly in a sort of capitalist, you know, we must do stuff to make money. They don't make money, right? They're a thing that you do with friends to connect, to mm-hmm. you know, explore these stories. So yeah, it's fun to watch that change. Well, I, I grabbed my book because like, uh, there's a person, um, uh, sociologist, uh, Johan Higzuga, uh, had this awesome, Hizinga, yeah, that he, he says that we should be called homo laden, meaning man, yep. the player, because every civilization has games. And yep. gaming no, I have the is... homo lutens over there on the <laughs> shelf. So yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> see, we've yeah. read all yeah. the same books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But like that, it's, it's so interesting to me. Like, um, one of my, a study I pull out a lot is, um, <clears throat> It's entitled Alibis and Play. I'm forgetting. It starts with a D, um, is the author of it. Um, <clears throat> sorry. It's all but good. It, it's talking about like this idea that as adults, we need to have an alibi in order to justify our ability to play. Right? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm not really playing Little League. I'm on my team, like my company's team. And it's like for team building and morale. I'm not actually playing. You know, and <laughs> yeah. it's just it's so interesting because like the the more status you have in not necessarily like, you know, money, but like, you know, positional authority, the bigger the threat is of playing. And so, like, mm-hmm. one of the things I talk about is like, if you're going to be the psychologist in the room, you have to play. You cannot observe. You cannot yeah. just be there to help with the behaviors certainly you can hire a professional game master to run the game for you Mm -hmm. but if you're in that room and you're playing an npc you're going to play the the friendly animal companion to the adventuring party but like because if yeah well it's (laughs) like if you don't model play nobody else in that room is going to play nobody's going to feel like it's okay to actually play and take that risk and so we you know we've got to do that and be willing to play like i I had a um, another psychologist reach out to me at one point being like, I want to use this, but I don't actually want to play the game. It's like, yeah, no, this isn't going to work then. Mm-hmm. Like you, you've, you've got to be willing to get in there with the, with the clients and to do this stuff. Well, it's funny you, you couch it that way because <laughs> I, I got back into gaming just before I met you. Mm-hmm. So it was a 2018, 2017 timeframe. And I had been away from D and D since I knew James in college. And I think one of the things in that 1903, uh, yes, 1903. Yes. That. Yes. Just well, to date ourselves a little bit. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. Yeah. Jerk. Um, <laughs> do you do couples therapy? Um, <laughs> but I tell people that when I went to my high school, my, my 30th high school reunion, at the age of 48, I looked around and saw for the first time that since we'd graduated, we were all comfortable in our own skin again. And mm-hmm. it didn't matter what your title was and it didn't matter who you married or where you worked or blah, 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 blah. It was like we were back in school again and the things that had us in common had us in common, you know? And what I've discovered is that I, I, I would tell people, I feel like I'm the most comfortable in my own skin as I've ever been. And I, and, and now I take that forward into this whole gaming hobby cause I lean into it and, um, you know, I'll go to work and say, Hey, I lead a Dungeons and Dragons group. And I've been surprised at how many people are drawn into that because they, they go, Oh, well, I, I'd like to play that. Or I, I've always wanted to play that. Or I play that too. You know, whatever the different, the different answers are to that. And I, and I'm, and I'm finding that you know, the more that you just kind of say, I'm, I'm the board game guy. In fact, I, if you look at all my socials now, I, I, I make no, no secret to that. And, um, I was just up in Washington recently, um, for, for my, the cancer advocacy that I do and, mm-hmm. and gaming was a big part of the discussion with different people that I was meeting from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they were sitting on the political side of the table, which we were meeting with some politicians mm-hmm. or the people that were in our groups that were doing it. And, and so I, I'm finding that it's, I don't know if it's always just sort of been a universal language as you, as your uh, Hazung, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the guy's last Hazunga, name. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> would suggest, or if it's this idea that we're, we're just rediscovering it. But, but to me, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if, I don't know if I could have done this and gotten as much out of it in my thirties, perhaps, um, 
just speaking for me of the generation yeah. I'm, I am of, I don't know. Maybe that's too well, no, I think it's, there is truth. in like, as we get older, we stop, stop caring so much about like, you know, it's not that like, we don't care what other people think completely. Cause of course, like we always do a little bit, um, you can't live in society if you don't at all. Um, But like, you know, it's just like, yeah, I'm not going to apologize for being me and loving the things that I love. Like that's one of the things I love about the the media company. I co-founded geeks like us, you know, we define being a geek as being unapologetically enthusiastic. And like um, when uh, I was posting about the Willow series on the geeks like us uh, discord and like, I caught myself because I was like, I started off with, I'm sorry, I'm going to gush about this series. And I was like, mm, nope, not sorry. This is unapologetic. <laughs> I just get to gush. I am so heartbroken that Willow got canceled too for sec- the second and third season. Like, it was so terrible. It was good. Like, it, it did it. It it did it. It crossed it. You know, it was so bad. It hit good again. Um, and honestly, like, if you watch Willow and you frame it in your head as this is a D&D campaign and all they did was they took a transcript of them playing and they made a t- TV show out of it. It makes so much sense then. <laughs> it's well, and the, the first movie, the Willow movie is pretty bad but it's just wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderfully bad. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, I think the TV show captured that and like I love the character of Morgan. I wanted to see I wanted to see his origin story so much. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, and to jump up on Joe's uh, comment, it's I mean, it does seem like anytime I'm willing to say, oh, yeah, I play a lot of board games, people will wander up and say, oh, my God, yeah, I do this all the time. And I just don't feel like like, yeah, I'll be the guy who will say it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it is really powerful. And you can walk in and be like, OK, yeah, these games, I love these games. I love this stuff. And this is cool. And Here's what, you know, like I just, um, I built my first Pokemon deck the other week. Uh, so. <laughs> That's awesome. What my, stu- my students are, are supposed to write a game journal every week, just sort of because mm-hmm. they're, they're writing more formal writing, but then I also have them do a weekly informal writing. And I have one of my students who is a dedicated Pokemon player. And so his game journal every week is like, He'll talk about the, he'll go to a little uh, game shop around here and he'll have his little, you know, he'll see how his deck does in five or so, you know, meets, I don't know what. Uh, And then he'll, he'll, at the end of his uh, journal, he'll have the list of the deck, you know, so it'll be, this is my, this was the deck. I'm like, all right, man, I didn't need to know that, but that's awesome. Like, (laughs) I love that you're like, I can share this. And that is so cool. And I feel I'm like now I want to you know, try some Pokemon because it's like it seems like a great little game. So I'm my kids are really into it. My I felt that my youngest had it, it was actually really cute. I came down one day and we have a, a bunch of gaming mats and stuff. And she had a gaming mat set up and her deck set up and was sitting there at the table. It's like, are you ready to play? And I'm like, I don't have a deck. <laughs> I am delighted that you want to play against me, but I do not have a deck. Um so I've rectified that and like, but she also, she got a new deck that it, this Pokemon did something cool. They had like the world championship in London a couple years ago. Right. Yeah. And they did special packets that are the decks of the winners. Oh, so she has nice. a winning deck. So right. I'm going to have to play against that. <laughs> good luck, mom. Yeah. Yep. Good luck with that. I, I've, I've played against that individual. I know how ruthless that can be. <laughs> yes. Just not yeah, a Pokemon. <laughs> So, so the book is coming out in about uh, a week. It's a week from tomorrow. Just over a week. Yeah, yeah a week from tomorrow. That, yeah. That's exciting. 28th. And so <clears throat> what do you have on the docket? I mean, do you have other, other podcasts, other places you're going to be, things you're going to be doing? Yeah, I've done a few other podcasts. Um, I keep trying to book uh, some signings at Barnes & Noble. I'm actually going to be at the other friendly local game store that we have in South Charlotte uh, over at Mint Hill. Called, uh, it's actually your, called your, your local your game local store. Yep, yep. Store. We like them too. On April 4th. Yep. On April 1st, I'll be doing an event there. So I'm going to be doing a uh, Q&A and signing and then after running a short game. Um, I'm hoping my cough will be good. <laughs> well, that is awesome. In fact, I was in the I was in uh, Carolina Tabletop Games and I saw that Rob mm-hmm. had put a stack of your cards right there at the cash register. Yes. And um, we're working on a uh, tabletop day in May where we're oh, going nice. to be, we're gonna be playing. We're going to have a number of game masters. Uh, Christina Stiles from Christina Stiles Presents, who's a publisher. 
who lives down in Rock Hill. She's mm-hmm. going to be running a, a, some, she's going to be play testing some things that she's done oh, and nice. we're going to do a few, a few different things there. So that would be, um, that'll be in May, but I know that that'd be cool if we could get you to come in there at some point in time. I'll, yeah, get I'll be there. I'll that. come. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to do something at Carolina table, but they are so busy. Like Rob, they're turned, having good, he, good he, problems. Yeah. He's <laughs> up, he's up 40% and, uh, it's cause wow. he, 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 he got, it's a magic moment. Magic. He's got a lot of magic cards going on in there. Uh, was, yeah, yeah, he yeah. got he got certified. So, um, or what do you what do you call that? Is the, they're officially anointed or whatever? Anyway, yeah. I don't play magic, so I can't say much about it. But you know, I I, 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 uh, for I got to a targeted ad on Reddit today for Hot Pockets Magic the I Gathering saw, Arena Edition. I've <laughs> seen those. Oh my gosh, I have seen those. There is a Canadian oh, YouTuber that that does ma- nothing but magic. The magic historian, uh-huh. you should check him out. He's very funny. And uh, he's been talking a lot about those hot pockets, but that's great. So you ready to go get some and serve them to your kids as you're out. Oh my God. The book. It, it's just, it was sort of this thing of like, wow, what is this world? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, and then also like with a follow-up thing of like wizards of the coast, there's better ways for you guys to make money. <laughs> oh my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we've, you know, James and I have talked a lot on this show about sort of the cyclical nature of that business and the mistakes mm-hmm. that, that they don't seem to learn from, but you know, it doesn't really matter. The games continue and the people continue and, um, you know, we'll sort of see how that all sorts out. I, I hear that, um, wizards of the coast has invited a number of influencers to come to Seattle mm-hmm. soon to have this big, uh, hubbub. And, uh, of course, James and I would not have been invited. We're not large enough, but even professor dungeon master did not get invited. Ooh. He did a whole episode about it. Yeah. I, I wasn't I invited. invited. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to, Oh, I am going to be on dragon talk this week too. Okay. So ah, cool. yeah, awesome. yeah. I'm doing that, that, that little podcast. I don't know. Yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> please wow. tell them about, please talk about us on that podcast and send people our <laughs> <Yes>. way, please. <laughs> I'll get you as Greg a pot. and Shelly are so nice. I'll get like, you as a pot as uh, gift card. <laughs> oh, that's that's nice. This is the best Mexican restaurant I've been to in a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, that's just good. I'm I'm just really I you know on the one hand I'm 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 so grateful that you you were willing to have a conversation with us, but on the other hand, knowing you, mm-hmm. I'm very proud of you. This is just so amazing <laughs> to see. Thank you. Your, the the things that insp- you know that initially inspired me about you to see that coming out in a way that other people can experience it, even though they don't live here, and I just think that's awesome. Thank you so much. No, this is awesome, and it's it's really funny. Like it, <laughs> one of my kids today is like, I didn't realize until today that you're an author, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that book that, that with my name on it. That's <laughs> I wrote that. Well, when I get my copy, I want I want a signature on mine. <laughs> So you got I gotta it. find you. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try. So, Oh, to anybody who does listen in Charlotte, I did get permission from the Barnes and Noble over at, um, this is South Charlotte, Barnes Carol- and Noble, not Carolina place mall. No, the, not that one. The other South one Park. at, uh, Nope. Um, Oh, the, Arboretum, 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 the Arboretum Barnes and Noble. Yeah. I'm Providence, doing such a great job advertising. Providence, <laughs> so good. Providence and Pineville Matthews highway, the Arboretum. Yep. Yep. Arboretum. Uh, so I, I'm trying to book an actual like event there, but that's getting yeah. hard. But they did tell me I can come in and sign all the books. So I'm going to bring a D20 in as well. And I'm going to roll it on the book and I'm going to put the number that I roll. So if you get one of those nice. that's got the number and the signature, that's that's what I rolled on the book. Yeah, you'll, you'll, <laughs> so, you'll, you'll roll a awesome. one on mine, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Well, that's I'm very excited about that. Well, that's awesome. Well, we're, we're so grateful that you, you came on with us today. So James and I have a tradition. Um, we always like to talk about what is on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about board games that we may have played, um, in the last few weeks and, and looking at the list, I can see that he and I both have a very short list, but I'm just, before we kind of jump into ours, what's on your household table right now, besides Pokemon. Pokemon. Um, well, actually, right. But we um, when we sit down to dinner, we actually always play try to play a card like a card based game. Um, we've played a lot of Geek Out. Um, that is a very big game at my house. But recently, um, my kids have gotten old enough to understand how to play Super Fight. And so that has been played a lot. Um, what is Super Fight? 
Ah, oh, super fight. It yeah. is so awesome. Um, you draw a fighter who can be like, usually it's a pop culture reference. Um, like we have the nineties deck, like my first fight was the Rugrats and then you get two attributes. Um, and so the, the judge, uh, draws a person and draws an attribute and draws another attribute. So like I had the Rugrats who had a samurai sword and were like squirting acid out of their eyes or something. And then everybody else has a hand. Ah, yes. And they, um, they choose Uh. a hero from their hand and an attribute and then they assign an attribute to the player next to them the judge in our case we decide right or left where you're going to pass and then you argue and debate about who would be the best fighter who would win Uh, so So this shrink wrapped copy of super fight came in a loot crate that i got years ago i've never opened it oh Ah. it's fun it is really fun highly highly recommend that well, uh, we also like played three players or so to do that three yeah yeah we've we've got five, there's five of us at the table um and that's a pretty good group um but we played uh dwellings of ever everdale uh with some friends which that's a worker placement game um mm-hmm. it's okay like it my husband is very very good at understanding like thinking four turns ahead i am not uh-huh. So I tend not to do so well in those games. Um, but yeah, we played that one. That was pretty good. We've played, like, we have almost, a, Dominion just came out with a new expansion. So all but the newest expansion to Dominion, we play that a lot too. Oh, wow. That is a big, that's a big stack of cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you play other deck builders or really just all Dominion all the time? Uh, no, I really, really like the Harry Potter Battle for Hogwarts game. Oh, yeah. Um, if you guys have not played that one, I highly recommend it. It's actually seven games in one. Right. It, it's really well done. Um, I've started playing it with my youngest, who, uh, but I'm having a rule that we can, they have to finish each book. And then when they finish the book, we can play because like there's spoilers in the deck if yeah. you haven't read the books. Um, and so uh, they're slowly making their way through the series and playing that one. Um, there's another deck builder that I played too. Well, Pokemon's a deck builder, but yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I would call it a, a deck battler, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deck battlers is a good one. Um, yeah. Another one that we got recently. Well, of course we've got Everdale, which I really like. And my little Everdale um, is awesome for kids. Um, and also awesome if you want to play Everdale, but you don't have 90 minutes. Yep. Um, it's really good. And then uh, we also have the uh, Marvel Dice Throne, which is a lot of fun. Okay. I don't, I, is that just a, like, um, uh, how does that one work? It's Yahtzee with a couple more steps. There you go. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that 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 tracks. Yeah, we, we find that there's there's typically a lot of similar ideas just executed thematically oh, yeah. in different mm-hmm. ways. Like literature. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, James knows this a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were up in Durham or Durham, as I like to say. <laughs> and uh, well, I, I never miss an opportunity to go into Atomic Empire when I'm up there. I just am fascinated by that store as well. It's a great game. It's, it's a game store. It's yeah, it's huge. one of my favorites. Anyway, they actually had a copy of Hickory Dickory, which we had read about, I don't know, three, four months ago. And I thought it was going to be a Kickstarter, but evidently it just came out. And so we picked right. it up and we... Uh, it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a curve to get into it. Oh sure. Um, thank you, Rodney Smith, and everybody at Plat Hat Games for your lovely, helpful videos. And uh, we are just really intrigued by this thing, and we've played it three times now. Uh, Dale, my wife, has beat me twice. I finally just won tonight. But the thing I love about <laughs> congratulations. It, well, it, th- there's just you know. <laughs> You know how um, Lost Ruins of Arnak, there's a bunch of different ways that you can get oh, to yeah. your number at the end. It's mm-hmm. got that feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they describe it as almost like if you need to think like you're almost in a relay race with your mice around the clock. And it's it's very true. It takes, it takes a minute for your brain to kind of get used to how this goes. But what I really like about it, is, you know, James has heard me say this a million times, and, and Megan, I think I said this to you the, when, when Dale and I first came over to y'all's house. Dale and I like games where you don't have to be mean to each other to win. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. It, and it does, it can fit that criteria. You can be mean to each other, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be. 
which is mm-hmm. nice. Um, but there's but the other thing I like about it is every time we've played, our scores have been within five to twelve points of one another, which tells me there's some balance to it. You, you, you no That's one runs away game. with it. And yeah. you think you think you're losing, and then all of a sudden a certain mechanics kick in and all of a sudden, holy cow, you've just surpassed everybody and you're 20 points ahead. And then you get it to the end and you're like five points ahead. And it's just really, <laughs> but to me that's exciting because it's just the the whole mechanic of the game. And once you get into the rhythm of it, it's like, okay, I'm into it now. And so we've been really enjoying that. So that's taken up, taken up our time when I wasn't in, in DC. James, what about you? I see you have two on the list here. I have two. Uh, so, one that I've been playing a couple of times with uh, just with Laura. And then when Sky was here is Pessoa, which is, and I love the theme of this game. Do either of you know uh, Fernando Pessoa? Mm-mm. No, no, you, you shouldn't necessarily. So. Uh, early 20th century Portuguese poet. Um, and so, which is probably why you don't know who <laughs> Fernando Pessoa is. Uh, in, but he's kind of the high watermark for modernist literature in uh, in Portugal. Uh, and he, the interesting thing about Pessoa is that from an early age, which might have been triggered with by some trauma, uh, his father died when he was five, and his a uh, younger brother died the next year and her, his mother remarried the year after that. It was oh, a, wow. it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, was, it was a string of, of stuff uh, happening for young Fernando. And so he created these kind of alternate versions of himself that he called heteronyms. So not like a pseudonym where you just write your stuff, but you just sort of use a different name. He created entire personalities around them. Did uh, He got into astrology, had astrology charts for all of them, had histories. They all wrote in different styles. And then he would write from their perspective um, to different magazines and newspapers, and they would get into fights, like dif- different versions of himself, fighting literally and putting each other down. It's fascinating. Uh, but so Pessoa is, in fact, a worker placement game where all the possible workers are all the time going around. So if you're playing it two player, the other two, it plays up to four are sort of robots that are moving around, but you always have the option of playing Pessoa's orthonym, he called it himself. And you can always kind of take it over from somebody else and move it where you want to go and take that Mm. action. It's a, it's an interesting little game. It does not do well at two, three. It starts to be interesting. Four, you always want to play with four players. So that was okay. that sounds like a Vita Lacerda game. It, but it's but so, smaller. It's so short and small. <laughs> That's the other thing about it is that um, you're just trying to get to these materials to to write poems, and it's about if you're doing it right, it seems like it's a half hour, maybe 45 right. minutes. So not Vitala Serda where you're going to be sitting down for two hours to do this. It goes. Yeah. Quick. There's uh, just a character. There's a character in weather machine that sounds a lot like the Pessoa character. That's why I was thinking. Ah, that. Ah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then me. just a really small little box called songbirds came out. I don't know. A couple of years ago. I don't remember. Um, I can check, but um, we drove up to Athens, Ohio for the Appalachian Studies Association conference uh, with Sky, my 14-year-old, and Emerson, who's 21 months. And so we had to put Emerson to bed. And then the three of us, Laura and I, and Sky were like, well, so now what are we going to do? We're exhausted. Well, here's this little game, Songbirds. And it's, you're just, it's a little box and just cards. And you've got an imaginary five by five grid that you're kind of playing into and as different grids fill in different colors of birds are potentially scoring and the last bird in your hand is the color bird that you're going to score so there's this tension between Hmm. what do i play down what do i get other things to score if i don't have the right bird at the last time so the first two three times on the table you're like yeah i'll play down whatever and then the game, it's one of those ones where it kind of slows down. We're like, oh, no, wait, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> so it was super cute. And and just a, it's a nice, there's a lot of good um, choices 
and decisions to be made in a very small box and it's still pretty light but it feels really satisfying to play so it's yeah, cool. on the table yeah well, if, if you're you youngins it plays well because it's really simple about <laughs> your you just play the bird and it's yeah that's cool. Well, I'll, I got to give one more recommendation too of a game I got at uh, PAX Unplugged called Boop. It is yes, yes. Have you played is it? The, is this the cats on the on cats the, on the yeah. bed? Cats on the bed. Yes, yeah. it is so fun. It's very funny because like uh, my kids love to play it, and then my husband and my son were like, "Oh, this seems silly," and then they got into a very intense game of Boop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of an abstract area control game, right? But dressed yep. up as as cats on the bed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have kittens on the bed, and then you get three kittens in a row, and they graduate to cats and. The cats can stare kittens, but the kittens can't stare cats. And <laughs> that uh, I, I, we, I have list. a daughter yeah. that we give cat games to, so that sounds like the one to to get for her. She doesn't listen yep, to this podcast, a... so she'll still be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a smirk and or no, what do they call it? laughter or smirk, smirk and, and dagger? Smirk but they're and laughter. smirk, smirk and, laughter, and laughter. Yep, yeah. yep, that's what they call their funny but games. Songbirds and boop, Joe, and that's the like one eats the other. It's yeah, yeah. I I have this. <laughs> I have this thing about wanting to play Wingspan, Isle of Cats, and Parks, where the cats are chasing the birds into the parks. A big marathon <laughs> where you play all three games at once, where you play around, play around, play around, come back. You know, I'm weird. I'll just leave it there. Well, that's what's been on our table this week. Uh, again, we want to thank uh, Dr. Dr. Megan Connell uh, for coming on, uh, lay it on the table this week. We certainly mm-hmm. appreciate it. Uh, we ask that you follow us at layitonthetable.show. And if you're so inclined, please go to uh, Apple Podcasts or somewhere else and leave us a like or uh, leave us a little uh, blurb there about us. You can actually do it on our website. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Lay It on the Table on Board Game Geek where, Geek, where we have an area there. And of course, on YouTube at the Geek and Southern channel. And as always, I am Joe Mahaffey. I am not bored, I am board gaming. And I'm James Engelhart, hoping that all your tiebreakers break your way. One, two, three, four. <laughs>